Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Acts chapter 25. Acts 25. And here, you know, it's so beautiful because we get like um, just this account of beautiful Brother Paul before his accusers. We've, in the past several weeks, we've seen that so far, kind of the buildup in, in Paul before his accusers. And it's just so beautiful to see his witness. You know, he's no hypocrite. Not to suggest that there's any hypocrisy in him at all. But you know, it's so beautiful to see when it's like, wow, you know what? He walks the walk. He talks the talk. He walks the walk. No hypocrisy. And then you see like, you know, you, we're going to see this more and more in his letters of exhortation to the church. And it's just so beautiful to see himself in these trials, in these tribulations, in this moment of hardship. And you see his behavior, his witness, his countenance, his witness before the Lord and all for the Lord's glory. And here in verse 1 of chapter 5 says, Now when Festus, remember he's the new governor. Where we left off last week, there was Felix. And Felix, just, Felix uh, 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 two years had passed. And in verse 27 of ch chapter 24, two years had passed. And so he left Paul bound. So Paul's like still in captivity. And so here in verse 1 of chapter 25, there's a new governor in town. His name is Festus. It says, now when Festus had come to the province, after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. You know, you kind of see like when a new politi political office is, you know, you have a new guy uh, come into office. And you kind of see like, you know, they, they uh, 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 kind of uh, maybe tour the land. You kind of see that a little bit what's happening with Festus, kind of surveying his domain, so to speak, like when a new CEO comes into a position at a company and, you know, a brand new CEO from another company or moved up the ranks or whatever. And what do they do? They start to kind of a tour, go to the different locations. And it's kind of a big deal because what's happening is that this new CEO is kind of surveying his domain or her domain, you know, to make sure that we're uh, 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 polit politically correct, you know, in these crazy days that we live in. Uh, but like, you know, you see it when politicians, a new guy becomes president or a new guy becomes prime minister or you have a new king, you know, depending on what region of the world you're in, you know, and what do you see? You see them surveying their domain, kind of going through and it's with a lot of uh, celebratory uh, effects, too. And so here you see him, this exact same concept where Festus is going to go survey the domain. He goes to Jerusalem and then immediately look what happens here in verse two. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul and they petitioned him. You know, it's like, wow, you know, it's, it's so sudden to bring up Paul. Think of all the other matters that they could have brought up or just regular pleasantries when you meet somebody. And already right off the bat, it suddenly bring up Paul, you know, and, you know, it, it kind of goes to show that they have this major, major, major beef with Paul. They hated him. Remember how they conspired a couple chapters ago in our study? They conspired to kill him. They wanted to kill him. And not they wanted to kill him. I mean, like for us here and, you know, this today, they wanted to kill him. But like for all intents and purposes, we're here in chapter 25. They want to kill him. They want him dead. 
And so look what happens here in verse 3. What do they do? They ask a favor. They're asking a favor against him. You know, another scheme. Another scheme is what they're doing here. Another conspiracy. Remember the last conspiracy that they, that, 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 that we looked at in uh, um, chapter 23, verse um, 12? Yeah, how they banded together and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. So that was the conspiracy. And then there was another one they presented to the commander. And it was that uh, 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 in verse uh, 15, it says that, you know, that, that, that they were going to make further inquiries concerning him or Paul. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So they're like, yeah, let's go. Let's go ask of the commander that we just want to see Paul and just ask him some questions. A couple questions. That's it. We need some clarification on things. But you know what? We're going to kill him. Conspiracy upon conspiracy upon conspiracy. The secret. But nothing secret before the Lord. And so what in, in chapter 25 here, verse 3? These religious leaders, so-called religious leaders, they wanted to ask a favor of this new governor, Festus. In verse 3, asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. You see? Wow, how much they hate Paul. This proselytizer. This guy, he's with the people of the way. And we got to kill him. That was their conspiracy. That was their desire. We got to kill this guy. You know what blows me away is that you kind of see a picture of the elite class here. The political norms. Politics as usual, so to speak. You know, if you have deep pockets, you know, you just give a little money to this guy, give, give a little money to this gal, and you get your way. You see that a lot in the business community today. Very wealthy business people. And what do they do? You know, they you pad the pockets of a politician, local or national, at the federal level. Sometimes it's at the state level. But, you know, a little, uh, little bribery. And then all of a sudden they pass these laws, pass these bills. And what happens? Who gets the contracts? The friends. Oh yeah, this guy gave me, you know, $500,000 cash. This guy gave me $100,000 cash. Cash untraceable. You know, this guy gave me, you know, whatever, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, maybe whatever it was. But you see like all these pet projects, government pet projects, and who do they go to? The ones who padded the pockets. Corruption. Look at all these major construction companies. Big construction companies with government contracts. You know, uh, military contracts. And you go, you, you go to Home Depot. If you're in the military, you go to Home Depot, you buy a shovel for, I don't know, 10 bucks. But when you're in the military, you get a shovel, you go to the supply list, and the shovel's like $200. Crazy. Where's that extra money going to? It's going to these companies. Government contracts, good old government contracts. Corruption. 
on many levels. You, just, you see a picture of this here like, wow, what's, what's the political norm? Politics as usual among the elite class, among the establishment. The political establishment and then the religious establishment. Was this the norm? You know what blows me away? It's, it's kind of beautiful how the Lord has us at this juncture also studying Leviticus. Because we're seeing not the law. I mean, we're seeing the law. But I'm not advocating the law. I have to preface that every time I mention the law, like in a good way, I'm not advocating the law. And I preface it by saying that for a reason. Because I don't want Satan to whisper in your ear and say like, wow, you see, the law is good. Therefore, you need to go back to the law. That's part of the Hebrew Roots Movement. That's how Satan lures people. To say, wow, you want to be righteous, then you got to go back and do this with the law. No, if righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Abrahamic covenants, the Vatican Council. They say, oh yes, salvation can be achieved through the, uh, through the uh, 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 um, uh, Abrahamic covenant. If that were the case, then Jesus Christ died in vain. No, we read the Holy Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And as New Covenant believers, what are we under? Grace. You believe in Jesus Christ? Praise the Lord, you're under grace. You're obeying Jesus Christ? Praise the Lord, you're under grace. Now, you start to beat on your wife, cheat on your wife, do your drugs, do your alcohol, and, you know, have all kinds of sexual stuff, all kinds of drug stuff. You're not under grace anymore. You've left the confines of grace. You're under the law. And the law is a schoolmaster to say, hey, get where you need to be in grace. Come back to Jesus Christ. You're going to have to reap what you've sown, but get under grace. At least you won't burn in hell. But you start to ignore the law. You start to ignore the tutor. You start to ignore the schoolmaster. What happens? Just like Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then you keep reading. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we're going to study that in Romans 1. How God gives people up to craziness, to a crazy mind, debased mind. It's a form of judgment. But I think it's so beautiful and interesting how the Lord has us in our study in Leviticus to understand the law. We're studying not just the letter of the law. We look at the letter of the law, but you know what? The spirit of the law to understand what it shows us in terms of pointing to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Because you read these and you're like, what in the world are these religious leaders doing? These so-called religious leaders, what in the world are they up to? Why are they so preoccupied with all this political stuff? Why are they so preoccupied with, you know, uh, gaining favor with Festus? Earning favor with the commander, earning favor with Felix. Why are they so concerned about those things? These things that we've been studying the past several weeks, when they should have been about God's business, making souls right before the Lord. They should have been occupied with the people, making them right with the Lord. And remember, it's written in the law that these religious leaders, the priests, they don't have to work. I mean, you know, uh, you go to, to work, you wake up early in the morning, you know, brush your teeth, put on clothes, and you go to work. 
through the toil and sweat of your brow, whatever your work is? Well, the religious leaders didn't have to do that. Because their business was to make sure that you're right with the Lord. And, and, and you know, I'm juxtaposing modern world with, you know, the, the Levitical world. <laughs> but I'm painting a picture here. The religious leaders didn't have to, you know, they would wake up in the morning. But what would they do? They would pray. They would intercede for the people. Seek the face of the Lord. That was their work. Like you go out and, you know, you go out and, you know, do your work, the sweat of your brow, your hands get all blistery, your feet are all blistery, you know, sometimes back-breaking work. The priests didn't have to do that. There were provisions in the law where, you know, they would have food, sustenance for them and their families. A portion of the offerings unto the Lord. And the Lord says, you know, you give it to the Lord. It's for the Lord. And then the Lord gives it to the priest. It's a beautiful transaction. And I'm speaking in accordance to the law. Because these priests, that their responsibility was to, you know, like while you're working, they're praying. While you're working, they're, you know, checking on the lepers. You know, while you're working, they're going into people's homes checking for leprosy in the home. Checking for uncleanness. Then you see like the perverted priest too. We talked about that a couple weeks ago in our study in Leviticus. You know, what if a female had leprosy? You know, hey priest, I think I have leprosy. Then you have a perverted priest. Perverted priest who says, yeah, let me check it out. Then you see somebody, you know, you see beautiful priests in the Old Testament. That everything's in their conduct is holy unto the Lord in accordance to the law. They're not doing any kind of perverted things. They're not doing their drugs. They're not worshiping Baal. They're not sacrificing to Molech. They're not, you know, worshiping, you know, Ashtoreth. They worship the Lord. And here, fast forward from Leviticus to here at this point, what in the world are these religious leaders doing? They're not, you know, they're supposed to be about God's business. And had they been about God's business, they wouldn't have been blind. They wouldn't have been deaf. They would have understood, wow, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So look what happens here in verse 4. So, you know, in verse 3, they, you know, hey, you know, send Paul to Jerusalem and then we'll ambush him, we'll kill him. In verse 4, but Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. So you see a little picture of Festus. Maybe he's fair. Maybe he's not so fair. We're going to study that a little bit more. But here you get the appearance of fairness. You get this appearance, okay? And so look what happens here in verse 6. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days. So, wow, you start to see this influence that they have on Festus. These religious leaders and their political schmoozing. You know, have you ever seen people schmooze politicians? You have like low level, like the local stuff. 
you know, uh, schmoozing a mayor. You know, you have these low-level business people, and they like to schmooze a mayor, you know, take a mayor out to dinner, wine and dine him, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, they get special, you know, contracts with the local local governments. Then you get higher echelon business people, and what do they do? They schmooze the uh, governors, you know, senators, congressmen. Then you get the national level. It's like, whoa, this is high-level schmoozing. You see this right here? What in the world is these religious leaders doing? Because we have this knowledge base of Leviticus. We read these passages. It's like, what in the world are they doing? They're schmoozing. They're playing the political game. You know, have you ever been in an environment where you see schmoozing? Maybe not political schmoozing. You know, one time there was this event in another state. It was in California. And, you know, it was, you know, I was at this event, you know, and I was there for the music. There was a particular musician that I just admire, this particular instrument I love. And, you know, one of the uh, head guys on in a uh, nationally, globally acclaimed uh, philharmonic and symphony orchestra. And so I was there for the musician. And so you this small venue and you see these heavy hitters there. I mean, when I say heavy hitters, it's like, you know, in this small gathering, you see wealthy individuals, small group of people, wealthy, very influential, politically speaking, influential in terms of higher office. And you see how they talk and you see not just how they talk, but you also see how like, like the leeches around them, you know. Everybody's like gunning for favor. And I wonder if there were any like low-level business people there that were just kind of like the leeches getting like the scraps of the heavy hitters. But you see this schmoozing, like high-level schmoozing. When I say high-level, it's like, you know, politically speaking, influence of, you know. You hear these people talk and it you wonder, you know, politicians are like puppets. When you hear the heavy hitters talk, millionaires and you know, in some cases, billionaires, they don't worry about politicians because they're in their pocket. They have them, they're owned. The politicians, they're owned. And you're uh, a wealthy business person speak like, oh yeah, it's no big deal, I'll just have a talk with them. You know, speed dial on their cell phones. And you see this game, it's like, that's what's so beautiful about, you know, the Old Testament and New Testament. So many times Christians get into trouble because they say, I'm a new covenant believer, so I'm not going to read the law. But, you know, in our study in Leviticus, which is probably one of the most hardcore books of the law. You know, and we're going to get into Numbers and in Deuteronomy. And you're going to see, like, everything's just going to open up even more so. It's, it's opened up already. As the shell cracks open. It's opened up already. But when we see these passages about the religious leaders, it's very, very easy to understand our Lord's rebuke of them. In Matthew 23, how he says, you know, you whitewashed tombs. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. It's very easy to understand. Because what happened to these so-called religious leaders? The ones who were supposed to guide Israel. And understand the times, understand the seasons, so that when the Messiah came, they could say, wow, this is the Messiah. Worship Him. 
But nobody said, kill him. What happened to them? These, the, the religious establishment, it turned into a cesspool of filth. A cesspool of filth. You know, if you put a pond in your backyard, or anywhere, maybe your front yard, I don't know. But you want to build a pond in your front yard. Maybe you get this little vat, and you just dig a hole, and you stick it in your, in your grass or whatever. If you dig a hole and you just fill it with water, it's just going to take some time before it gets nasty. The algae is going to grow. The mosquitoes are going to lay their eggs in there. And then you're going to the little, it's just going to become a cesspool, just disease. You can't drink it. Not to suggest that you should drink pond water, but it's just nasty. Like your dog drinks it and then your dog gets sick. You know, an animal drinks it, they take a couple steps and boom, they're dead because it's just nasty. No, it needs running water. You need to have some kind of pump system where it can have running water. No algae. This flow of water. And then you have to treat it. But when I think of that concept, I think about you know the religious establishment. There's no flow. No flow of water. No running water to prevent the algae, to keep the water active. That's why, you know, when we studied in Leviticus, how there was specific mention of the law when... Items were unclean because of touching a, 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 a person with leprosy. It needed running water. Running water. Not stagnant water. Don't take this item and you put it in a pot of water. No, it needs running water. And it's so beautiful because it's like, wow, flowing water. It's like symbolic. What about the living water that we have in Christ Jesus? Just like the woman at the well. He says, you drink of this water and you won't thirst again. But it's the steady flow of water. What does that mean? A steady diet of the Holy Word of God. You go without the Word of God. I'm not saying do it, but if you've ever done it before, as I have before, you feel it. You start to feel your carnal nature gets too much. Where you have a steady diet of the Word of God and you're reading passages of Scripture and you're praying before the Lord, then somebody cuts you off on the highway, it's like, okay, no big deal. You wave at them, you know, hey, it's okay. But then you're out of those, say you haven't been in the Bible for a week or two weeks, somebody cuts you off on the highway, and you're like road rage. Because it's the carnal nature. You've been out of the Word of God. It's, it, it, it's human nature. But the question is, who among us will submit their nature to the Word of God and the will of God and under the, under the whole power of the Holy Spirit? Who will do that? I pray it's all of us. But that's for each individual to make for a choice that he has to make for himself, that she has to make for herself. I pray it's you. And so look what happens here. In verse 6, and when he had remained among them more than 10 days. So you see this political game here, this influence. It says he went down to Caesarea. So Festus now, he goes down to Caesarea. And the next day sitting on the judgment seat. This is the Bema seat. Translates as the Bema seat. You know, in accordance with the world. You know, this judgment seat. Don't forget that our Lord himself, he, he, has, he has his own time of judgment, which is coming. 
the, the bima seat of Christ. And, you know, the, the world has its own version, but it's only temporal. You have people in positions of authority today, but it's only temporal. Who's the ultimate authority? Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You and me, we do it willingly. Why? Because we believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Now, if you're not a believer, believe. You're not listening to this for nothing. If you're not a believer, God loves you. Judgment is coming. His judgment is coming. And you know what I say? Get in the ark. Join me. Take my hand. Let's go in the ark together. You see, it's so beautiful. So if you don't believe, believe. God loves you. So look what happens here. And then, you know, listen to the message of how to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, and then say the sinner's prayer. Time is short. We're straight up in the last days. You know, 10 years ago, you could like, prepare a church, prepare a fellowship, you know, and just say like, you know, the last days are coming. You know, let's study the word. And we're still doing that, you know, studying the word. But man, it's, it's close. Look at what's happening. It's close. We're right on the cusp of the 70th week of Daniel, potentially. When I say potentially, it's hardcore potentially. Look at what's happening in the Middle East right now. Peace. And Israel and the United Arab Emirates. And you say like, wow, that's no big deal. That's just Israel and the United Arab Emirates. It's a huge deal. Because you look at the business money that's going in those areas. You think that's not going to be a huge appeal to other nations? Billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars into infrastructure. You know, investment. You think that's not going to be a huge carrot? In Saudi Arabia, all these countries... You ate uh, Oman, uh, 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 Sudan, uh, 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 Egypt now. All these countries. And you start to see the Palestinians now. They're saying, well, you know, we need a two-state solution. And who are those world leaders that are aligning with Israel and then also aligning with the Palestinians? It's very interesting these days that we live in. Oh, not to mention, there's red heifers, qualified red heifers. Qualified red heifers. It's we're on the cusp potentially of the seventieth week, the very beginning of the seventieth week of Daniel. And when I say potentially, I mean between you and me, we are on the cusp. <laughs> but I say potentially as you know, just like that you read passages of scripture and they say, you know, we're in the last days. And here we are 2,000 years later. This door of grace, it's not going to be open forever. We're seeing the convergence of the events of the last days, the prophesied events of the last days. You know, all the the market for uh, uh, biochips, smart tattoos. It's coming. By 2025, look at the what the market share, how it's going to shift into the smart tattoo market. Very, very crazy times that we live in. I mean, to bring up crazy, look at all the crazies running around. Look at all the crazy people. Look at all the people with a debased mind. Why do they have a debased mind? 
form of judgment. No love of the truth. You know, we have to be very wise fishermen in these last days. Very, very wise fishermen. Not casting pearls to swine. Not giving pearls to dogs. You can, you know, give them little nuggets of truth. Plant little seeds. But the pearls, those are for very special people. Very wise fishermen in these last days. And so this Bema seat, you know, this world uh, uh, version of a Bema seat, that's where Festus is in Caesarea. And what does he do here in verse 6? He commands, but says, he commanded Paul to be brought. So here he's on his temporal seat of authority in his Bema seat. And he commands Paul, bring him to me. Let's look at verse 7 now. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. No evidence. All they have against Paul is accusations. That's it. Jacques. That's all they have for you history buffs. That's all they have. Accusations. What is Paul guilty of? What is he guilty of? We've seen his conversion. We, we've studied his, what happened to him on the Damascus Road. And we've followed him ever since. What is he guilty of? Even, you know, he says he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. Well, we're studying Leviticus. What is he guilty of? What's his wrong? Nothing. He's innocent. There are no wrongs. He's not a hypocrite. He talks the talk. He walks the walk. That's why he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. You know who's in the wrong? The religious establishment. The blind guides. The ones who are blind and deaf to the spirit of the law. And so look what happens here in verse 8. While he answered for himself, this is Paul now, while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. You start to wonder, what are these accusations? I wonder what these accusations are. You know, it had to do with the Jewish law, just as we studied in previous verses, previous chapters. It had to do with the Jewish temple. And now we see here it has to do with Caesar. Look at what Paul addresses here. In verse 8 he says, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar. I haven't offended anything. He's proclaiming his innocence. And so in verse 9, But Festus, remember the new governor, wanting to do the Jews a favor. Wow, very interesting. So their schmoozing worked. Did they pay him off? I don't know. How did they gain favor? How did they earn favor from Governor Festus? Was Festus wanting to please the masses? Just like a regular politician? Whatever the the direction the masses go, that's where I'm going to go because I need to please the masses. After all, it's a democracy. Well, no, you know, people get this concept of democracy, you know, mob rule, majority rules. 
But what happens? You know, people always like to forget about the republic side of things. We are a democracy, but within the confines of a republic, a nation of laws. When you see lawlessness abounding, that's a sign of the last days. And spreading from Western cultures and globally, lawlessness. And there's going to be a man with a plan who emerges on the scene. A man of lawlessness, according to the workings of Satan and his lying wonders. Who's going to attempt, who's going to change times and laws to accommodate the lawless. Interesting these days that we live in when you look at these prophecies that we read about in Daniel. And Daniel was so eager to know, like, you know, tell me what are what do these visions mean? What does the angel tell him? Daniel, it's not for you. It's for the people of the end. Just seal it up. Seal it up. You put it down, you write it down, and then seal it up because it's for the people of the end. It's not for you. You see Festus here in verse 9. Wanting to do the, the, the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? What's wrong with Caesarea? What's wrong with Caesarea? Why does Festus all of a sudden want to go to Jerusalem? To still be judged, not by the Jews, but he says, before me? He wants a change of venue. Telling Paul, hey Paul, are you willing, instead of me making a judgment here, how about we have a change of venue, we go from here in Caesarea, and then we go to Jerusalem, and you know, I'll judge you there, concerning these things. What in the world is wrong with Caesarea? Answer, nothing. You know what's happening here? Remember verse 3? They asked a favor of Festus, the religious leaders, they wanted a favor from Festus. That he would summon Paul to Jerusalem. And while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him, they wanted Paul dead. And Festus bought in now. Hey, Paul, what's stopping you? Let's, you know, instead, let's have a change of venue and let's go to Jerusalem. I'll try you there. I'll make a determination there. Come on, let's do it. Meanwhile, by the way, maybe wink, wink, nod, nod at the religious leaders. Paul wouldn't make it to Jerusalem. He'd be a dead man. Maybe enter Jerusalem, you know, in a casket. So look what Paul says here in verse 10. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. You know, also Bema seat, but he puts, you know, he, he, he all of a sudden he introduces Caesar, a higher authority than Festus. I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you very well know. Saying this to Festus, the governor, you know Festus, I'm innocent. You know Festus, I've done nothing wrong. So look what happens here in verse 11. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. I love Paul. Not afraid of death. Death is just a doorway. That's all it is. It's a path. Everybody on this planet, everybody living, everybody in times past, it's appointed for man to die once and then judgment. 
100% of the population will die. You can't avoid it. It's going to happen. In Christ, you don't have to fear death. You can look forward to death in Christ. Because it's just a passageway to paradise. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, that's terrifying. Because you die without Jesus Christ, you're going to burn in hell. I'm just a messenger. I mean, if you're not a believer and you're listening to this, you're like, whoa, that's... He's using fear tactics. Well, you know what? The Lord used fear tactics with me. And it worked wonders. You know why? Because I don't want to burn in hell. You read scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life. Remember the ministry of the Holy Spirit to go into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You feel this conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not me. It's the Lord. It's the Lord calling out to you saying, come, get in the ark. I love you. I sent my son into the world to save you, not to condemn you, to save you. Believe in him. You're the one that has to open the door of your heart and say, Lord, come in. I'm just a messenger. And it's so interesting here. Paul, I don't, I don't object to dying. Paul. He says here in verse 11, But if there's nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. Remember, he's a Roman citizen. Under Roman law. A Roman can't be given to... It has, it has to be either given to a Roman, like Roman to Roman. This is under Roman law. So Festus was breaking Roman law. If Paul didn't... If, if he sent Paul to Jerusalem without Paul's consent, he's breaking Roman law. And the penalty of that is death. And Paul knows about it. Remember, he's a Roman citizen. You know what I love about Paul? How does he know this? I mean, he, well, I mean, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he knows his rights as a Roman citizen. He knows his rights. But he doesn't use his rights as like a, a hill to stand on in terms of, boom, I'm going to fight for my rights. Remember, he, what happens here is he's, he knows his rights, but he's using his rights and what's happening it's an instrument of his death. And he knows it. He says, I don't object to dying, but if there's nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Whoa. That's hard. That's an acknowledgement of this circus court system under Festus. Here, in, you know, I live in the United States. And here in the U.S., you know, you, if you're, you're in the lower, lower court system and then you have like the court of appeals and you can, you know, appeal to the, you can go into the, you know, if, if, you're, if you're found guilty in the lower level courts, you have the court of appeals and you have the uh, uh, state supreme courts. And if you're found guilty or, you know, you, the judgment wasn't in your favor, depending on whatever it is, you could take it to the state court or the supreme court, the national, the U.S. Supreme Court. It's the same concept here. Paul is saying, I'm bypassing this court system. Festus, I'm bypassing your court. And I appeal to Caesar. 
Say we're Roman citizens. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Put yourself in Paul's sandals. And you know Jewish law? You know Roman law? You know what a circus this is? You're innocent. In, a, in account with Jewish law, you're 100% completely and totally innocent. And in accordance with Roman law, you are completely and totally innocent. You know, if Paul was going to get on a high horse and, you know, plant his stake in uh, uh, Roman law. Festus, why in the world do you want me to go to Jerusalem? You know that is unlawful. But no. You know, he's being, as much as depends on him, as much as relies on him, he's living peaceably. Being peaceable with Governor Felix in this circus court system. You see? Paul's not a hypocrite. When he writes to Christians, when he writes to Christians 2,000 years ago and writes letters to you and me today saying live peaceably with men, he himself, we're seeing him do it here. He's not saying, how dare you, Felix? How dare you, Festus? No, he's living peaceably. Even among the Jews and his accusers. Remember? When he said in, in verse in chapter 23, verse 3, Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And then the people who stood there, they said, do you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I did not know, brethren. I did not know this guy was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. What is Paul doing? He's living peaceably with this man, with these people before him. Living, living peaceably with Festus with Felix living peaceably with the Jews who want him dead. Living peaceably. Look what happens here in, in chapter 25, verse uh, 11. He says, I appeal to Caesar. So he's bypassing this court system as a Roman citizen taking his rights. In verse 12, then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. Now me, personally, in my inner parts, this kind of makes me mad. <laughs> I don't like what's happening here. It makes me kind of angry. Because, you know, let's fast forward a little bit. You know, this is, you know, in fast forward in chapter 26, verse 32. Chapter 26, verse 32. Agrippa, we're about to see Agrippa in a little couple more verses. But here in verse 32 of chapter 26, Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Wow. The, the possibility of freedom. And here in chapter 25 verse 12, Festus is telling him, You, you have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. Think of like Christians that were allowed to visit Paul. Remember, because you know Paul had favor with Felix, and in verse in chapter twenty four, verse twenty three says uh, that uh, Felix commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to to not to to let him have liberty, and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for him to provide for or visit him. So Paul had certain uh, uh, favorability while he was in captivity. And so 
I mean, imagine the Christians that would come and visit Paul here. Paul, here's your parchments that you asked for. You know, Paul, there's a possibility you can be free, Paul. You know, if you play your cards right, you know, kind of strategizing in accordance to man, using carnal strategy. If you play your cards right, Paul, you can be a free man. But no. Remember chapter 23, verse 11, when the world is crashing around Paul. And in chapter 3, verse 11, but the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. You see? The whole time, remember, the Holy Spirit has been testifying. The Holy Spirit has been uh, telling him that chains await him. In verse, uh, in, in, in chapter 20, verse 23, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. So Paul knows that it's going to get worse. And the whole time the Lord is, you know, Paul, be of good cheer, Paul. You have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Paul knows it's the Lord's will that he's going to Rome. Imagine if the Christians would come to his, you know, his cell or, you know, if he was under house arrest or whatever form of captivity that was in. Paul, if you play your cards right, you can be a free man. And, you know, from the onset, you know, you think about that and be like, okay, that's not so bad. You can be free. What's What's so bad about freedom? That's a good thing, right? Only the Lord told him, Paul. You need to testify. You need to uh, 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 testify for me and bear witness for me in Rome. So Paul's like, okay, I appeal to Caesar. I'm going to Rome. The Lord wants me to go to Rome. We're going to Rome. You see, that's why I say Paul's a different animal. How many people in Paul's circle would say, Paul, you know, let's pray for your freedom. Paul, I can bust you out of here. Paul, you know, I'll meet you at 2 in the morning. You know, when you hear this sound, you know, I'll make the little sound. And when you hear this sound, you know, just meet me here and I'll, you know, I don't know. But we're going to bust you out of here. But Paul knows that he's going to Rome. It's the will of our Lord for Paul to go to Rome. And that's what's so cool when you have intimacy with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Intimacy with Jesus. You know, the Lord's going to Speak to you. And you'll know the will of the Lord. And all these people will think you're crazy. You are so stupid. You are so crazy. You're so dumb. Look, I can free you. Look, you know, if you just write this on your tax form. Write this down on your tax form. Look, you can get an extra $5,000, an extra $2,000. That's good, right? Look, if you just just say a little white lie, a little white lie about this, and it will turn out favorably for you. And you say, no. No. I'm a vessel of honor unto the Lord. I don't want to bring dishonor to my Lord. What are they going to tell you? You're so stupid. You're so dumb. Look, the Bible says this, the Bible says this, and you're not going to listen to my counsel? Now you have intimacy with Jesus Christ. 
you tell them it is also written. When you know the Bible, it is also written. You know, so many people say, oh yeah, you know, the Lord will protect me. I don't lock my doors at night. Remember, Satan used scripture to tempt Jesus. You know, Jesus, go up on the, the pinnacle of the, this, the, the, the temple here and jump down because it is written, the angels will bring you down safely. I'm paraphrasing. The angels will bring you down safely and you won't be hurt. He uses scripture. And Jesus says, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Ain't going to happen, Satan. Because I'm a vessel of honor, not a vessel of dishonor. How many people, like, they tempt the Lord? Oh, yeah, I'm going to drive. I'm not going to wear seatbelts. You know why? Because the Lord will protect me. Don't tempt him. You know, he has a job for you. He wants you to do something for him, not for you, for him. But if you want to tempt him, he might just call you home. <laughs> okay, you're done. You know, I wanted you to share the gospel to these people, but, you know, if you're going to play that game, you're done. You see, that's what Satan tried to have Jesus do. Satan, it is also written. All these people, oh yeah, just say a little white lie. Write this down on your taxes. Oh, don't report your income because, you know, you can, you're, it's going to impact your uh, disability income. If you, if you earn too much, get a job and get paid under the table so you don't have to report it as income. You have income, but it's under the table. Nobody knows about it. The government's gonna, not going to find out about it. You can still get your disability checks. What's your disability? Oh, I have PTSD. From what? Uh, I was, you know, I tripped. I have PTSD because I tripped. People get, you know, they dispute their disability claims, deny disability claims. I have a job, but I'm getting paid under the table, so I get more money. Nobody's going to know about it except for one, capital O. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. He's witness. Don't be a vessel of honor. Or don't be a vessel of dishonor. Choose to bring honor to the Lord in everything you do. Every aspect of your life, a vessel of honor. These are steps. Steps that you take to get closer and more intimate with Jesus Christ. And I don't want to sound like procedural and saying that, you know, steps to Jesus Christ, steps to intimacy with Jesus Christ. But the more you die to self, the more you reckon the old man dead, the more you reckon the old woman dead, you know what's going to happen? The intimacy is going to get more beautiful. You and the Lord. Because you're dying. Look at the intimacy that Paul has. Why? He's dying. He's not afraid of... He's it's out of his own mouth. I don't object to dying. He says, verse 11, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to die. If I'm guilty, kill me. But he says, I appeal to Caesar. You know, you think, you think like, wow, you know, he, he, he's appealing to Rome. He's appealing to Caesar. Wow, that's hardcore. But you know what's really hardcore? Is when the Lord told him, 
in this moment of intimacy, the Lord stood right there by him when the world is crashing around him and the Lord was with him in, in the little uh, 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 barracks holding area. And the Lord stood right by him. You know, the religious leaders, the Lord wasn't there. The commander, the Lord wasn't there. Verse 11, the Lord is right there, right next to Paul. Be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good comfort. Be of good courage. Be of, uh, of, of good cheer. You're in Jerusalem. Now you need to go to Rome. Orders. Have you ever received orders? You know, you don't deny orders. You get orders, you know, I, I sir, and then you get to where you need to go. And the Lord is telling Paul, Paul, we're going to Rome. I, I sir. So I appealed to Caesar. And then look what happens here in verse 13. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. This Agrippa and Bernice, they're Herodians. Remember the Herods? You know, I kind of see them as like the, uh, a, a political dynasty, like the, the, uh, the Kennedys, you know, or like the, uh, you could say the Bushes. You know, because you have a couple presidents, the governors, you have people getting into politics. You say the Bushes, you know, you could say the Clintons too, just because, you know, uh, president, you know, a couple terms in office, then senator. But, you know, that ended quickly. <laughs> but, you know, there's a political dynasty like the Kennedys. That's who the Herods were. And you see this family, Agrippa and Bernice, their husband and wife, except their marriage, it's an incestuous marriage. Their brother and sister. Remember Herod Antipas? Herod Antipas is the one who was married to his brother's wife. And his brother's wife's daughter, she danced. Whorish daughter. And she danced, you know, for Herod. And, you know, Herod was like putty in her hands. I'll give you whatever you want. What did she say? I want the head of John the Baptist. And so what happened? John the Baptist was beheaded. You know, what a family, this Herodian family. What a family. Wickedness begets wickedness. You hear me say that in our studies in the Old Testament? Wickedness begets wickedness. But also as New Covenant believers, wickedness begets wickedness. I mean, have you ever seen worldly parents? You know, how they raise their kids? Little five-year-olds, they start to cuss. Little six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, they start to cuss and, you know, very vulgar language. How they use, how they call people names. Oh, this guy's this, this lady's this, you this, you that. And they start to use this cuss word. And you're like shocked when you hear it. Because it's like, wow, what a precious, innocent little child. And it's already corrupted. Then you see the parents laugh. Oh, yeah, look, it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. Especially how the Lord gives us, gives parents, teaches us about the, uh, uh, the, the, the millstone. Teach your kids. Teach your kids about the Lord. That they can have their own intimacy with Jesus Christ at a young age. That's like the best age because they're not corrupted by things of the world. And they're, like, they're, the faith in a child is so beautiful. It's it's not even a mustard seed. I mean, you could say the faith of a child. I mean, I see adults, sometimes faith in an adult is like a mustard seed. It can be like a mustard seed. 
like the faith of a child is like a watermelon, you know? It's like, wow. It's just so palpable, the faith of a child. So teach your kids. You know, if you're not a believer and you're like, you're hearing me say this and you're like, man, you know, I taught my kids to cuss. You know, my kid's five years old. I taught him about the birds and the bees. You know, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And I go back to your kids and say, hey, kids, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have taught you that. Let me teach you about Jesus Christ. You know, I don't want a millstone around my neck. I'm going to teach you about Jesus Christ. So if you're not a believer, become a believer. You say, how do I become a believer? You need to repent. Repent. God loves you. And receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so look what happens here. This Bernice and Agrippa. Wow, what a couple. Incestuous. Brother and sister married. Sick. But you know, you look at the history of the Herodian family and the choices they make. You see, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. The wickedness of the Herods before them. You know, wickedness begets wickedness begets wickedness. And so look what happens here in verse 14. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix. Remember, Festus is the new governor. And so he's kind of having his, you know, his, all the, you know, is his surveying his domain, so to speak. And part and parcel of that, just like a CEO goes from one business location to the other business location, you know, to the other location and all these different sub-locations, you know, and then he goes back to headquarters. Well, that's what's happening here with Festus. And here Agrippa and Bernice are before him, or, you know, he's before the, he says in, in verse 14, Festus, Festus laid Paul's case before the king saying, there's a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for a judgment against him. Wow, so much for presumed innocence. You know, this is how, remember, we, how, they, how they, they wanted to influence Festus. And I would say successfully. Because remember, the, the, the question that was posed to Paul in verse 9, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Unbeknownst to Paul, it was an ambush. It was all set up, an ambush. And so look what happens here in verse 16. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any such man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. It's giving an account of what happened. In verse 18, when the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed. Very interesting. So in one sense, when, when Festus goes into Jerusalem and he meets with the religious leaders, the religious leaders tell him, oh yeah, we got to kill this guy, Paul. He did this. He said this. Look at what he did. But here, what's being revealed is in verse 18, when the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed. I thought that they were going to say, Festus is giving this account to, to uh, 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 Agrippa and Bernice. I thought the religious leaders, I thought they were going to say this, just like they told me, except they didn't. They didn't bring up the things that I supposed. 
in verse 19, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus. Bingo. Bingo. Jesus. The Antichrist spirit. Their beef was with Jesus. You know, have you ever met somebody before? And you're talking with them. Everything's fine and dandy. Everything's honky-dory. The conversation is going beautifully. And then they find out you're a Christian. And then all of a sudden, it just goes south. Oh, you're a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I've been walking with the Lord for, you know, 20 years. Well, what do you think about abortion? And you don't want to dishonor the Lord. You don't want to lie. Well, okay. I'll tell you what I think about abortion. I think it's murder. I think a child is an offering unto Molech, which is forbidden in the Bible. It's not good in the eyes of the Lord. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? And in honoring the Lord, you just say, well, the Bible says this, so that's what I believe. And I believe this because the Bible says this. I believe this because the Word says this. And then all of a sudden, they hate you. You know what they hate? They hate Jesus Christ inside of you. That's what they hate. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. Where is that at work? 2,000 years ago. And then all of a sudden, it's building up, building, 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 building for ultimately the Antichrist. But it's all the working of Satan by his lying wonders. Remember, Festus is giving this account. I thought the Jews were going to bring up this. These so-called religious leaders, I thought they were going to say this, but they didn't bring these things that I thought they were going to do. In verse 19, but I had some questions against him, against Paul, about their own religion and about a certain Jesus. That's like, whoa, that's the beef. And inside of you, that's the beef that the world will have. No disrespect to the Lord by saying beef, but I mean beef like that's their issue. When the world knows that you're a Christian. And I don't mean a lukewarm Christian. The world loves lukewarm Christians. Because they can go out to strip clubs with, you know, lukewarm Christians. They can go out and get high with the cold Christians and the lukewarm Christians. Oh yeah, I got, you know, the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Let's go get high. And the lukewarm pastor says, okay, let's go do that. The lukewarm elder, okay, let's go do that. Let's go get high. Just like back in the day. Oh, Chiapas, Mexico, they have the best marijuana ever. That's some fine stuff right there. Let's go get high. Hey, pastor, we're going to go to the strip clubs. You want to come with us? Okay. That's the lukewarm pastor. That's not a pastor. I don't call that a pastor. I call that a wolf, a hireling, a shill for Satan. Straight up. But when you have Jesus Christ inside of you and you make a stand for him, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you make a stand for him, the world will hate you just like Nebuchadnezzar hated them. The world may even want to kill you just like they want to kill Paul, just like they killed Stephen. But you make your stand for the Lord. 
The world does not like Jesus Christ inside of you. Therefore, the world doesn't like you. Friendliness with the world is enmity with God. You say, whoa. You're a non-believer. You're listening to my word. You say, well, you Christians, you think you're so special? No, not at all. But we're not for this world. We're just passing through. That's it. And as we're passing through, we're also fishermen and fisherwomen. And I say to you, believe in Jesus Christ. Get in the ark. And it's so beautiful because, you know, per capita, there's the, the most persecution against the church is happening in Iran. And per capita, the church is blowing up. That's where the church is experiencing the most growth in the world is in Iran. Where they kill Christians, where they beat up pastors and kill pastors. I saw pastors there, you know, about to get hanged. And they had like video footage. They take pictures. They send them. They have the crane. They lower the crane. They, they, they tie the rope around the crane. They tie the rope around the neck. And they tell the pastor to get on it. And then they raise the crane nice and high. Big crowd of people surrounding. And somebody zoomed in on the pastor. And you think like, wow, this is scary. He was, he'd be crying so scared. But he had this big old smile on his face. Big, huge, beautiful, beautiful smile on his face. Can you imagine knowing? And in the next 20 seconds, I'll be in paradise. 20 more seconds of oxygen, and I'm in paradise. 15 more seconds of oxygen, and I'm in paradise. 10 more seconds of oxygen, and I'm in paradise. 10, 9, 8, and then all of a sudden somebody pushes you. And boom, you fall down. 7, 6, 5, and then boom, your neck breaks. So beautiful. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so look what happens here. In verse 19, he says, you know, uh, that was the issue about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. In verse 20, and because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. So Festus, it's kind of interesting here because Festus conveniently leaves out a certain part about the plot to kill Paul. Look at what a fair guy he is. See how Festus is presenting himself to Agrippa and Bernice? Look, I'm a fair governor. I didn't conspire with anybody for Paul to be ambushed and killed. He's, presenting, he's whitewashing the truth. He did conspire. Remember verse 9? Hey, Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? And remember verse 3? While they lay in ambush along the road to kill him, it was a setup. Got a setup job here. And you know, Festus is you know presenting himself as look look what a fair uh, 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 justice system he has. He doesn't he doesn't say he does, he leaves out the part about the ambush. In verse twenty one, but when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of. Augustus, Caesar Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. 
the Herodian family, the Herods, number one, they know about Jesus. They definitely know about Jesus. And they definitely know about Christians. And what does Agrippa say? I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp. You know, you see the, the pageantry, it's, pageantry. It's just for show. Pageantry for show. You see that like, you see like the Queen of England, you know, Queen Elizabeth. You know, she meets a politician, you know, a world leader, you know, and it's like he's at all the celebrity, you know, the band plays, the soldiers in their dress uniform, and, you know, and all this thing is like, wow, this is really, everything's really decked out. Pomp and circumstance is what they say. It's pageantry. That's what it's happening here with Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city. At Festus's command, Paul was brought in. Very interesting. So you have this hall of justice, so to speak, in this auditorium. And who's there? In the pomp and circumstance, you have Festus, the governor. You have uh, Agrippa and Bernice. And then you have prominent men in the city. And all the pomp and circumstance, all the pageantry. Wow, look how, look, look at all the, the, the shiny stuff. Look at all the you know, fancy garb. Look at all these things. Bring in Paul. And how does Paul come walking in? In chains. One guy. No legal representation. No lawyer. One guy comes in in his chains. Chains at his feet, chains at his hands. I don't know if he had chains. I don't know how he was bound up. But he's a prisoner. You see how backwards the world is? You hear friendliness with the world is enmity with God? Look at Paul. Look at beautiful, beautiful brother Paul. Look at where the pomp and circumstance is. In this world, all the shiny stuff, the fancy garb, all the the so-called prominent men, Festus in his so-called bema seat, temporal position of authority. You have beautiful, beautiful Paul, all by himself, chained. That's in this life. This is a historical account of this life. But you know what? The life to come, whoa. The life to come, it's a completely different story. Completely different story. The glory that awaits you as a Christian, you as a believer. You, as an abider in Jesus Christ, the glory that awaits you. This present world that hates you, but yet the glory that awaits you. Wow. Remember Lazarus and the rich man? That's what's so beautiful about the account of Lazarus and the rich man. Let me ask you a question. Do you know who Warren Buffett is? Do you know who Bill Gates is? Do you know who Jeff Bezos is? Do you know who Tim Cook is? I'm just naming some CEOs, wealthy CEOs. 
Do you know who uh, the Tesla guy is? I forgot his name. <laughs> oh, uh, I thought I knew. It was on the tip of my tongue, but I forgot it again. The SpaceX guy. You guys know. Look at all these names that you know. Very wealthy billionaires. Well, Lazarus and the rich man. Let me ask you a question. What's the rich guy's name? It's not found in scripture. The rich guy's name is unknown. In the world, surely the name was known. But in God's economy, Lazarus. Who in the world knew Lazarus' name? Remember he had his sores? Like begging for scraps? Who knew Lazarus' name? Oh, that dirty guy over there in the corner. In the world. His worldly experience. Oh, there's that dirty cripple. There's that dirty guy begging for scraps again. Who is that guy? I don't know. Let's get out of here. He stinks. He's smelly. Let's get out of here. But let's go to the rich guy's house. You know, using his name, let's go to this guy's house. You read the Bible? It's not, you know, the rich guy's name and this poor guy. No, it's the other way around. Lazarus and the rich guy. God is totally different. His ways aren't your ways. His ways aren't my ways. His way is his way. And it's so powerful. You see Paul in his chains surrounded by, you know, all the, uh, the, the glory of the world. The pomp, the circumstance, the pageantry. Kings, governors, you know, rich people, the prominent men of the city. But I tell you the truth right now. In paradise. Wow, it's a completely different ballgame. Look what happens here. So Paul's brought in, verse 24, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man? So remember, Paul's in his chains. You know, he's bound. You see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. So Festus's his hall of justice is already a joke, you know. Crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. His form of justice, it's a joke. It's, it's a, he's a brand new governor, but wow, he's, he's off to a bad start. No integrity. Zero integrity. You see these people who, you know, they make up these stories. They make up these lies. They, oh yeah, you know, put this on your taxes. Put this on your taxes. It's just a little white lie. Zero integrity. You know what we did back in the day when we'd go on deployment? I mean, if you were a non-commissioned officer, the commanding officers, the platoon commanders, they'd say, okay, who do you not want to go on, on, on deployment? And you know who would say? It's pinpoint this guy, this guy, and this guy. Why? The officer would say. Because they have zero integrity. Zero. None. And because he has zero integrity... He's a liability to the unit. So they do some paperwork, boom, they're out of the unit. Because when you have zero integrity, you're a liability. 
And the same thing applies to our life in Christ. When you have zero integrity unto Jesus Christ, zero integrity unto His name, you're a liability. And I don't say, you know, hey, you know, you're kicked out. No, repent. Repent. A liability, a liability unto the name of Jesus Christ, it's not good. Oh, God will forgive me. Oh, yeah, it's a little white lie over here. Write this on my taxes. Get an extra $5,000. Write this on my taxes. Get this paid under the table. I don't. I can still get my disability income. All these things under the table. Uh, just a little white lie. I'll repent. No, zero integrity. If that's you, you have no integrity. You know what I say? Get integrity. Change. Right here, right now. Change. Repent. And change your way. Get a new heart. Get a new mind. Get a new spirit. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. He'll change you. He'll transform you into a new creation. Now, if you're walking with Christ, if you're a Christian, and you're doing these things, these dirty things, cut it out. Don't do it anymore. It is not honorable unto the Lord. It brings shame to the name of Jesus Christ. And people, they see hypocrisy, and they say, I want nothing to do with the church. I want nothing, nothing to do with Jesus Christ because they see hypocrisy. And you have failed to remove the plank out of your own eye. I know it seems hardcore when I say it like that. But you know what? There's no other way to live. You can be cold. You can be lukewarm. But I say, be hot. Be burning hot. White hot. You know, you see a flame, a low-level flame, and... You, it's like blue. That's like cold. In terms of heat, that's cold. And you turn up the heat, and it gets like, you know, a little oranger. I don't know if that's a word. Oranger. More orange. Then they turn up even more, and it's like white hot. Be like that. Be white hot for the Lord, for His honor, for His glory, for His name. And so look what happens here. Um... In verse 25, but when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. Remember verse 9 when he asked, you know, Paul, are, are you willing to go to Jerusalem? Paul, I'll judge you in Jerusalem. Let's go. No, the, the, the plot was to be ambushed and killed. That was the plot. And so interesting here, it says in verse 26, I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Do you remember when the commander sent Paul to Felix and he wrote a little letter to him saying, you know, uh, in chapter 24, chapter 23, verse 26, Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix and he gave a little sit rep, a situation report about this fellow by the name of Paul. You know, this fellow by the name of Paul gave a little report of what was happening. Verse 29, I found that I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against them deserving of death or chains. And that was the custom. When you send a prisoner, it has to be the prisoner has to be accompanied by a letter. You know, hey ruling authority, this is what's wrong with this guy. This is the charge against this guy. 
And so what Festus is saying here in chapter 25, verse 26, he says, I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Like, you know, so like in Rome, they would receive this guy, Paul, in chains. But who is this guy? Where's he from? What was his crime? And Festus is saying, I have nothing certain to write concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. You see, Festus, he doesn't want to report on the other trial that didn't have all the pomp and circumstance. He doesn't want to report. He doesn't want to write a letter to Rome and saying, this is Paul, you know, who's, who, who claimed his innocence, you know, uh, 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 unto, uh, 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 in verse 10. And Paul says, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. I've done nothing wrong. He's selling them. And Festus knows it. So he creates this show. This, you know, it's crazy. Festus. He doesn't want he doesn't want to give any mention right a note about what happened at the other trial. He wants to whitewash things as a new trial. You call this justice? And you know what's so beautiful about this? Paul. No hypocrisy. Paul, he's living peaceably. He's living in submission to the law. And in submission to the authorities. He's not a hypocrite. He's not telling the Christians in Rome. He doesn't write a letter to the Christians in Rome. And saying hey submit yourself to authority. Meanwhile I'm going to fight and kick and scream against authority. No. He himself is in submission. To the law and the authorities. Zero hypocrisy. Integrity off the charts. A messenger of the Lord, servant of the Lord, a bondservant in chains, an ambassador in chains. An ambassador doesn't do his or her own world, do, do his or her own will. The natural world testifies of these things. I mean, you know, you have like leaders of countries, prime ministers, presidents, kings, and they have ambassadors. I mean, you go to Washington, D.C., you have offices of ambassadors. You go to a capital of another country, you have like the U.S. Embassy in whatever country. You have the embassy of wherever, anywhere in the world. You have all these embassies in certain capitals. Because those officials in the embassy, they, do, they are the spokesperson of the official leader in their prospective countries. And they do the business of those leaders. They don't go off in, into la-la land. If they do, they get fired. You know, in Western, I, mean, I live in the United States. In the United States, they get fired. Some countries, if you do that and you don't do it, you know, you get killed. I mean, like if you're an ambassador in like, you know, I don't know, another country. And you start, you know, your, your, your king says, you know, I want you to, you know, do this. Say this to the president. And you say something else to the president. Which, which could impact your economy. Boom, they call you back, recall, send you back. And you're dead. So we got it good in Western circles. We got, we got it pretty good. And Paul says, I'm an ambassador in chains. 
He's not doing his own will. He's not in La La Land. Remember? All the Christians. You know, apostles. Uh, 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 prophets. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. And what does Paul say? He says, What do you mean? In verse 13 of chapter 21, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You see? And the Lord was with the member. And, you know, in uh, chapter 23, the Lord was right there with him in Jerusalem. Be of good cheer, Paul. You've testified more for me in Jerusalem. Now let's go to Rome. Bear witness for me there. What does Paul say? Remember, he's an ambassador in chains. He's not doing his own business. He's not saying, I have an opportunity to be free. So I'm going to go to Disneyland. I have an opportunity to be free. So I'm going to go do this. As an ambassador in chains, the Lord says, go to Rome. What is Paul doing? I plead to Caesar. Let's go to Rome. Paul is in submission unto the law. The law of the land and unto the authorities. Even to the point of death. To the point of imprisonment and to the point of death. Because what happens here? Several years later from here, historically speaking, he gets beheaded, his head chopped off. Look at verse 27. Remember, Festus is speaking here. For it seemed to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against them. And Paul's listening to all this. Imagine Paul's mind. Wow, Festus, what happened? Just a couple, you know, a little while ago. What happened to that other so-called trial? Paul all by himself. All the pomp and circumstance. All the, the fat cats of the society. You know, the governor, the king, Agrippa. You have uh, uh, Bernice. You have all these wealthy class. The prominent men of the city. And Paul's all alone. But, you know, you take off your carnal glasses. You put on your spiritual glasses. Is Paul alone? No. He has the comfort and assurance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The same way that you can have the comfort and assurance of Jesus Christ. When you face trial. When you face tribulation. When you face hardship. The same exact way. Intimacy with Jesus Christ. You don't have intimacy with Jesus Christ. Maybe you have to turn off the TV. Maybe you have to turn off the computer. Maybe you have to put down your, you know, whatever. Stop watching your sports. Get intimate with Jesus Christ. Oneness with Him. Learn more and more of His Word. Grow more and more in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And not knowledge for the sake of knowledge. But knowledge so that every jot, every tittle can jump off these pages and you make the pages white. Clear pages. Your Bible becomes empty. You know why? Because the word is going from these pages and into your heart. Jesus Christ in you. That's you abiding in Christ and He in you. We're going to end our study here. We'll pick up Lord willing in chapter 26. God bless you guys. Love you guys.